If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. One of the real blessings for me in doing this podcast is being able to sit down with people who had a real impact on my life and on my career. And that's why I've invited Jaron Davis to be my guest today. Jaron is not just one of the most prolific songwriters in the history of Christian music, but he wrote two big songs that have been a big part of my story. Back when I was in college, a song that I sang of his that really propelled me into truth. And then a song that he wrote that I sang in truth that really set me up for my time and for him. I owe so much of my career to the songwriting of Jaron Davis, and I'm excited for you to hear his story. Before we get to that, I want to remind you to consider becoming a premium subscriber. You can do that by going to the link on my website, andychrisman.com. While you're there, you can also check out my radio show. It's called Worship with Andy Chrisman, and uh, I would encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. That way you don't miss a thing happening here at the podcast, at my radio show, or in my ministry, AC Ministries, as I help churches and worship leaders around the world get better at leading worship. Okay, here is my conversation with one of my heroes, Jaron Davis. My tagline for so many of these episodes is you can't tell the story of Christian music without fill in the blank. So obviously, Jaron, your name is going to be in there, but I want to dig just a little deeper to the story of Andy Crispin's career can't mm-hmm. be told without Jaron Davis. Mm. Because I love two you. of the biggest songs that you wrote in your career were instrumental for me being able to do what I do and have been doing for the last 30, almost 40 years now. So I so much to me to hear you say, well, it's true. And I want to get into your story, but before we do, I just want to say thank you for being pivotal in my life. Mm. And even though we didn't know each other, you were writing songs that, that were going to be instrumental in my life. And uh, in a way, even more than just the people who would normally listen to your songs Mm -hmm. and worship. So we're going to get into that here in just a minute, but, Welcome to the One Degree of Andy podcast, one of the most prolific Thank songwriters you. in the history of Christian music, okay. and a name that everybody is going to know when I say Jaron Davis. Mm. So thanks for being here, my friend. Man, thank you for having me. And of course. That introduction makes me think you've been talking to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> mom, I want to make sure I said some really nice yeah, things about well, you. Well, thank you very much. It's yeah. it's. Uh, I feel like I've known you. Although we didn't grow up together because you were in truth. Yeah. And truth was instrumental in getting my songs, the first big group that got my music out to people I didn't know. I feel like I've known you forever, you know, and who can forget the sound of your voice on that opening line of in the Holy of Holies. I mean, it's just. I was just a kid that somebody gave a song that Roger gave a song to and said, here, you're going to sing this one. And I had no idea at the time. But let's go back before that. So I want to I want to mention Holy Ground, which mm-hmm. 
now is considered, I think, one of the standard worship songs in Christian music. That when I, I went to college, mm-hmm. and my brother was a minister of music in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and he had a little a group called Assurance, and it was kind of a it was kind of a mini truth, mm-hmm. you know, that would right. travel around the state of Oklahoma, and we'd do mm-hmm. Sunday night concerts and Wednesday night concerts. And as a freshman, he put me in that group, and the song he gave me was Holy Ground. Wow! And it would the anointing that would flow through me when I would sing that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life at that point. Of course, just being you know maybe nineteen years old, right. I knew there was something, and I could tell how the atmosphere in the room changed when I sang that song, and I got it. Like it, it's you know this as a as a as a musician as a right. performer as well that certain songs connect with your spirit right and they they go to a certain place where not just everyone can sing that and it happens it's mm-hmm. there's an anointing that connects with a song right that's what holy ground did for me and that's what honestly gave me the i don't know the encouragement the the guts to say maybe i can do this for a living maybe i have something mm. that is this little extra special and you know I, roger breland found me put me in truth Took off from there. I sang a bunch. Of, you know, I sang all the songs that were kind of left over by Mike Eldred when he left. Right. And, you know, uh, and it wasn't until the uh, it was the second record I think that I did with with Truth that uh, I was given Holy of Holies, and that was that's when I was kind of like Andy Christman, the the professional singer, was really born. With Man, that song. that's that's so amazing. What's interesting is that you were nineteen. And you sang Holy Ground, and I was 19 when I wrote it. No way. Yeah. Wow. I was a 19-year-old kid, pastor's kid, and my dad asked me to write a song for the first Sunday service um, that we were going to have in a new sanctuary we'd built in the little town of Savannah, Tennessee. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I had a, my brother and I had a group, uh, guys in the church, and some of them I taught to sing. Um we didn't have any girls in our church. We had one girl, and she's married to my brother today. So um, we would, all of us guys would get together and practice and sing. We had a band. Dad bought us a van and a trailer. Oh, wow. We came to Nashville to the Oak Ridge Voice Studio and made a record. Um, we were called the Believers. Yeah. And, uh, and we would go sing any place they would let us, and girls would come. So we're lifting up Jesus, and girls are coming. So that's win win, <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> so my dad asked me because I'd written some songs and we'd done this record. He said, Write us a song for the first Sunday service. And I said, Okay, I will. But I was 19. Had you know? written much before? Yeah, I'd written. I'd written several things, but they weren't all that great. I mean, you know, some of them were okay. My mom yeah. thought they were all great, yeah. you know, but, you know, it, it just was. You know, something I was doing. I I was David on the backside of a pasture with nobody around, just writing songs, you know, taking care of sheep, doing the music in my dad's little church. And um, he asked me, and I said, okay, I will. But, you know, most creatives, there's no minute like the last minute is our motto, you know. Yeah, that's right. And um, so six weeks out, he asked me, Saturday night at midnight, um, I decided, well, I better not put it off any longer. And so I walked in the sanctuary and sat down at the new grand piano they had bought and thought, what do we want to say? And literally in about 25 minutes, I wrote all the words and all the music to wow. it. standing on holy ground, went home, went to bed, woke my brother and little sister up the next morning, made them learn the chorus, and we sang it um, on the that first Sunday. And never imagining what God would do with that song. But I, I teach a lot of young songwriters 
that I wasn't trying to write a hit. I was doing, I was obeying those that had the authority over me. I, I was serving in my role as the music guy for my dad. Now, he was my dad, but he was also my pastor. Yeah. And I was in charge of the music in that little church, and he said, write us a song. So I didn't set out to write a hit. I was just meeting the need where I was. And a lot of people like to talk about, you know, Streisand did it, and we did it at a presidential inauguration, and all the things that have happened translated into all the languages in the world. But what a lot of people don't see is that from the night I wrote it until Streisand did it, 18 years went by. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of people think, well, I want to write. You know, we live in a a day where everybody wants a trophy and everybody wants instant gratification. They want to get a guitar for Christmas and be the band leader by summer camp. Um, And I, I try to instill in young people the desire and the importance of taking time to better your craft and sharpen your skills and, um, and the importance of waiting. And God took, my attempts at songwriting for several years as a teenager, and he says, well, this kid ain't going to give up here. Let me send him this, <laughs> and sent me holy ground. Well, but even that next day, you know, we never imagined what would happen. But Well, there's no way you can, you know. No. it's and Again, it's just, and you could write the greatest song in the world, and people may never hear it. Right. There's got to be that. God's got to, like, just really open those doors and... You know, um, he's got to order your steps right. to get it in the right exactly. hands and sing it at the right time for the right yep. people. And I just remember, I remember, you know, it was, I remember it being a unique song. Obviously, it was, it it spoke to my soul when I sang it. But at the time in modern worship, there weren't like these complete songs with chorus, with verses and choruses. Mm-hmm. It would, they were kind of like scripture songs or mm-hmm. You know, right. the Lord reigneth, the Lord yeah. reigneth. That was that was what we were singing at my right. church in the mid-80s. When Holy Ground comes along, it was different. It was like, this is a real song, but it's also worship, but it's also, it's, there's a holiness to it that transports you to another place. And that was, I don't know, there was just something about it that clicked all the boxes for maybe what was to come. Even in Christian music, there was nothing else like it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I view you personally as a real trailblazer that God used to expand what worship could be. And, and, you know, before there was a real modern worship music movement, right. There was Holy ground. Wow. And again, like you said, it just continues. It just pops up to me every once in a while. I'll be leading the worship service and we just kind of let the Holy spirit take us where we want to go. Here comes Holy ground. I had a pastor friend who pastors a very large church send me a, a text message a couple of days ago, and he was in a room at a lodge with about 70 pastors. I mean, well-known key pastors that everybody would probably know their names. And he sent me this little video clip, and they're all sitting around. This lodge is like deer heads and mm-hmm. you know, elk on the walls. And um, and all these men are singing, we are standing on holy ground. And mm-hmm. I know that there were young pastors and older pastors. And he, he panned the room, and they're all singing it. And, you know, there was a, you could tell some of them were standing hands in the air. And I thought, that is probably the greatest compliment uh, any writer can ever get. And that's to see multiple generations, mm-hmm. not only of people, but of leadership, singing something that God spoke to a teenager. 
um, you know, 40 plus years ago. Wow. And then, you know, of course, I got to talk about Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. which was, again, I, I referenced it already, which I just sang again at the Truth 50th anniversary concert. And that record will be coming out sometime soon. By the way, it soon. just blows my mind at your age, you're still hitting those notes. Every other artist <laughs> I know is lowering their tracks and lowering their keys, including the great pop icons. I go to their concerts and listen, and I, I always check the key of their original. Yeah. And write it oh, down. You're one of those and then guys. in the concert, I hit my little keyboard mm. on my phone and go, yep, step and a half. Mm. They've lowered it. <laughs> and I can see your judgy eyes out there. Well, in the, you know, it's the just it's the way my yeah. weird brain is right. wired. But you're you're still hitting those notes. And you told me that at the 50th, y'all actually did it a half step higher. You did it in the recording key, yeah. not in the what you did it in live. Yeah, which was news to me. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess I can do this. That's yeah, awesome. Rehearsals like Okay, I've got these notes at least one more time tonight. Um, and that's, yeah, one of the horn players came up to me and said, hey, you know, we've never done it in this key. It's always been a half-step player. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I was I was pretty happy about that. But, you know, I appreciate the compliment. I just, my whole thing is like, well, I know there's a point where that won't be, I won't be able to do it again. So yeah. enjoy it while it. you got it. I've always yeah. been a go-for-it mentality. Enjoy. I've always been the kind of guy who got up on stage going, hey, Jesus might come back before this song's over. So why would I not do everything I can just to let it all go? And we're not guaranteed another breath. We're not guaranteed another heartbeat. We're not, not, you and I are just talking about before we got rolling the the funerals we've been to lately of, you know, people that went way too young and, you know, it, I know they're in glory now. I know that Mm -hmm. they have no regret standing before the throne of God and they're in the loving arms of Jesus. But I think if their flesh could talk, yeah. They would go, oh, if I just had one more moment to say this or to express this, they would want to do it. And again, I guys like you and I have been giving given such a beautiful opportunity to declare the glory of God mm-hmm. into a microphone in a room full of people that I, I want to stand on the day of judgment in front of Jesus and say, yes, every time I gave right. everything I had and I had nothing back. But again, this is about you. Your songs help somebody like me do that, man. And I, again, I just want to start this whole thing by saying thank you. You've been a you've been a real pivotal person in my life. And thank you for saying that, Andy. Yeah. You know, most of my songs, because I'm a pastor's kid, I grew up. You know, yeah, doing music in the church, but from the pastor's home, so I knew both sides. You know, I had a pastor that felt free. To tell me exactly what he didn't like because he was my dad, right? <laughs> yeah. So there was no diplomacy yeah. involved whatsoever yeah. when you're working with your dad. Um, but it was a two-way street. I, I would tell him, you know, Dad, you went a little too long tonight. That was <laughs> so. You know, we that that's one of the joys and uh, benefits and and curses <laughs> yeah. of of uh, being a pastor's kid. And then Becky and I were worship pastors for 15 years after we first married. We were doing that when I was writing. Gentle Hands and yeah. and and uh, uh, Holy of Holies and some of those songs, but most of my songs because Becky and she's a pastor's kid, we've been in ministry virtually all our lives. Most of our songs are written have stories mm. that go with them. And I was on staff at a church in Alexandria, Louisiana, and it was during the day. It was around the noon hour, a little after noon. And I'm sitting in my office, the music suite was upstairs at the top of the stairs, and uh, 
I heard somebody just praying, and I, you know, it's like, man, they're really into it. So I get ready to go to lunch, and I walk downstairs, and I see a lady from our church, and they're kind of wrapping up their little prayer time, and they've got tears on their face, and it's a lady with her I didn't recognize, and she goes, uh, oh, hi, Brother Jaron. You know, in the South, they call anybody that works oh, yeah. for the church brother. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brother Jaron, um, this is my friend from work. She's been going through some stuff in her life and having some issues, and I told her, I said, you know, God can work all of that out. Let's go by the church on our lunch hour and pray. And she said, I could tell they had had a great time. She said, oh, the Lord has met us here. And I said, that's sweet. And I shook the lady's hand and hugged the lady from our church. And I got to thinking, if they had tried to get an appointment with the pastor, at that point, our church was probably a couple of thousand members. Mm-hmm. I bet I probably had to make an appointment for a few days later. If they, even if they had called me, I might have been too busy, scheduled too stacked. You know, I can see you on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But when no advance notice, they had an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, mm. and he really could do more than me and the pastor put together. And I just went right back upstairs, walked into the choir room, and sat down at the piano, and I thought, I can go into the Holy of Holies. I can kneel wow. and make my petitions known. I can go into the—and although I'm just a common man, because of God's redemption plan, I can boldly— approached the throne and i just started writing and and i i think i finished it probably in a couple hours and and um and steve taylor called and said he was needing some songs and anyway it's that's that's sort of the story of my life these moments happen and i write these songs and i've sung that song a thousand times i've never heard the backstory of that yeah that's incredible I, i i've had several people tell me i should write a book you Back should the, the the stories of yeah. that and and the different songs. Well, it's kind of why we're doing this podcast. Well, yeah. I feel like God has led me to this podcast. Is it's a it's it's a historical record of the people and the songs and the and what what drove this era right. of music. You know, from like nineteen seventy eight to two thousand and five. You know, this right. that kind of that golden era of of just really great groundbreaking music. Right. With people who are still around and still making exactly. a difference in the in the music industry, and you know, um, Andy, I I don't want this to sound um, disparaging toward anybody. Uh, it's not being critical, um, but I have had people ask me before um, what there's a difference in some of the songs I hear from you. Some of the songs I hear from, like, For Him, Basics of Life, Future Generations, what is the difference that is in the songs guys like you write and people like that sing versus maybe some of the stuff that I don't feel that? And at the risk of sounding like an old codger, <laughs> um. You know, this is not from a bitter standpoint because God's been good to me. I'm still yeah. writing. I'm still doing stuff. I've, I've been blessed. So I'm not somebody who feels left behind. Yeah. But I have a song that I wrote with a friend of mine recently called The Calling Has a Price. Mm. And there was a time when guys like you, guys like me, we didn't just write and sing about Jesus. We served him every day. We went to church. We listened to the Word of God being preached. 
we made it a part of our daily lives. And so when I wrote a song like Holy of Holies, it was born out of a moment where heaven yeah. kissed the earth and I was in the middle of the smack. And, and there are a lot of situations where writers get in a writing room and crank out a song trying to figure out what's the latest hit, what's the sound we're going for. And some of those guys, and again, I'm not saying this in a critical way, but some of those guys don't even go to church. You're right. And I think, I, I think Jesus has this idea that the church he bought is a real big deal to him. Mm, you're right about that. And he says not only of his people, but of his people. Right. You know, I'll bless those who bless her, and I'll curse those who curse her. And, you know, you work for a church. Uh, Mark works for a church. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you have to work for a church, but I'm saying being a part of the church and the church playing an important role in your life, yeah. I feel, has a direct impact on your ministry. So let's walk that out a little bit. Let's walk, I want to walk through... I'm glad you brought that out. Just walk through the timeline of what we see in in Christian music. Mm-hmm. Was that the Christian music industry was born by people in the church right. who had extraordinary gifts mm-hmm. but had no way of getting their music out in mass. Right. So labels were born, publishing houses were born to help these artists who were serving their churches as worship pastors, youth pastors, <clears throat> and writing songs for their congregations to now have a wider audience so the church in general has more songs to sing than just what's in the binders of their hymn book. And so now as we as we continue down the road getting to the late 80s and through the 90s, now there's an influx of guys like For Him, Point of Grace, Avalon, who have grown up singing in church. This is what we do, but we also... You know, now we can be a part of a big burgeoning industry mm-hmm. that's now pumping a lot of money into production and tours, and and now it's sky's the limit, right? And then something happens around 2000, mm-hmm. you know, 2002, Napster starts to hit, the, <clears throat> the, the everything gets a little narrower, the money right. gets narrower, so now uh, the parameters are getting smaller and smaller and smaller of what... Right can make money and what the radio stations will actually play until I feel like we get to a point now, this is the point you're making, I think, is we get to a point now where we get to, uh, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name radio stations, but it's very narrow now, Mm -hmm. extremely narrow what they're going to play. And, and now you write for that. You're not writing necessarily out of the abundance of your heart and seeing a couple of ladies down at your, you know, in your church praying you're writing for what the station is going to play. Exactly. And now it's, it just feels like you're just really robbing the spirit. Exactly. Of what's and, going on and, there. And it's an interesting thing. I had, I had the head of a, a major worship company talk to me one time, a dear friend uh, that we could both just be real transparent with, mm-hmm. talking to me about how music, they were wanting to switch all the music to vertical. Yeah. You know, it's all about right. him. Right. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all got to be about him. Which is got, great. Got Which to is sing great. Him, got to sing yeah. to him. And I go, well, you know, he, I let him go on for about you know <laughs> five or six minutes. And I go, well, you know, I know the importance of, of saying stuff vertically to Jesus, but that makes you sound real spiritual, but it's not biblical. And he went, oh, <laughs> that hurts when you're the head of a, of a worship uh, company. But I told him, I said, you know, you can't 
although it might be the popular thing to do to say, you know, we're not wanting testimony mm-hmm. songs. We just want songs, you know, that go up. I go, first of all, the Lord is not so egotistical that everything we all say has to be, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. He's less interested in what I say and more interested in what I do. Mm. Does my life say, you're wonderful, I exalt you? It, not, not lip service, but my life. But I said, the Bible says that we're made overcomers through two things. One is the blood of the Lamb. That's the vertical. Mm, I know where you're going. The second is the word of our testimony. That's right. That's the horizontal. But when you do the vertical and horizontal together, you get the cross. You get the cross. And wow. he, he wants to have that vertical relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, and I think the devil is the mass confuser, because you know he did the music in heaven yep. for so long, so he understands music people more than he does anybody. That's right. <laughs> and, and he, he uh, wants to confuse us. And, and the problem is we have people who either want to do all the vertical mm-hmm. or we have people who want to do all the horizontal. And it has to be both. If you don't have a vertical relationship in your life, it doesn't matter what you do horizontally. You're, you're, it's, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Yeah. But if you, if you do all vertical and don't have any horizontal, you're, then you become so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. The, the will of God is the work of God, the kingdom of God. And the will of God is for people to have a daily bread, a daily walk in the vertical, but then go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in and live out what he's done in our life as a testimony for others to see that he can do it for everybody. And that getting the vertical and horizontal together has been the hardest thing because, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the radio stations have become so niche. Yeah. That they either want to do this little slice or this little slice, and if you don't fit this slice, or you don't fit, you know, Southern gospel, or you know, this over here, or this, there's not really a place for you because they they are doing this, and mm-hmm. then there are some artists who like Avalon, um, like what you do, like what we do. People say, "What kind of artist are you?" I go, "Church." Yeah. <laughs> We sing to the church. Yeah. There are young people, old people, uh, people in the middle. Sorry about that. Uh, in the middle, uh, who we sing to. Yeah. So we've got to have stuff that lead them into His presence, and then remind them that in His presence there's joy beyond measure, and that His feet, peace of mind, can still be found. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> the Let's ushers stretch. are coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh man, I'm I'm ministered to just hearing you talk about that. It renews the fire in me to. Just continue. You know, that's the thing is, I think, you know, I kind of feel a slowing in Christian music of digging for the, for what's next. Like what, what God, how else can we worship you? And that's one thing I'm really passionate about is, and I'm, I'm in my late fifties and I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to get stuck going, this is the only way we can worship God. These are the right. only kind of songs that matter. It's all starting to sound the same to me, which makes me think we've, we're losing our taste buds. You know, right. we're we're losing our ability to to experience the new things of God because God is endless. 
Right. And if God is endless and the ways that we can worship him are endless, the sounds that we can create, the songs that we can write, the the testimonies we can give are endless. And I'm I'm looking for that now. I'm looking and in in looking back on some of these great songs of the past that we don't really hear much about anymore, or that we're not going to hear in recurrence on the radio anymore, mm-hmm. it is fresh. Mm-hmm. You go back to Holy of Holies and go, Oh, what a lyric. Oh man, that a song like that. Where's that song today? Or or basics of life. Where's that song today? Where are those, you know, where are those just where where's that type of production today? It just doesn't exist. So I think in looking back, we can go, well, wait a minute. Let's now can we take all that information and move forward instead of going instead of taking getting rid of all the stuff that didn't that radio's not playing right now. Yeah. I, I, I think we're I sat down. We, we I could sat, talk about this all day. Stephen V. Taylor, uh-huh. who produced Truth, yep. was um, at this service I was at yesterday, and his daughter was with him. And he said, uh, he came up to me and said um, that he was on a trip with his daughter, and he um, played her. They were in the car together, and he played her Holy of Holies. And she said, where did that song come from? She said, there's so much power mm. in that. And I said, well, it was Andy. It was just Andy's voice. No. No, <laughs> no, I'm, te- no. I'm teasing. Uh, but, uh, but, and she was standing there with him, and she said, they were just so strong. They just spoke. Uh, you could feel it in your heart. And I think, I think there's a, 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 a return to the personal walk with the Lord that uh, I think the teaching in the church has gotten better. I think the preaching in the church has gotten better. People have quit letting some denominational headquarters send them the series for January yeah. and the series for, and everybody's doing yeah. the same thing. You know, there for a while, every worship guy was just printing out the CCLI top ten, and mm-hmm. every church in America, whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever, yeah. you know, black, white, they were all singing yeah. the same same list, and uh, kind of the personality of the church was getting lost. And I think the cookie cutter concept has slowly started to dissipate, mm-hmm, and I churches agree. are actually digging in and going, "What are our people needing to hear right now? What yeah. do what do I feel God saying to me?" Because you, if you're going to have good platform time in a church, you need good carpet time. Mm. You know, I tell I tell uh, all the guys when I teach in worship conferences, don't get up on the platform and talk to God. I mean. Don't get on the platform and talk to the people about God till you've first gotten down and talk to God about the people. Mm. That makes all the difference yeah. in the world because you carry an anointing. Yeah. And, and there's something about one thing I teach uh, worship pastors on how to get to that next level, break through that to that next level that they're really searching for as a minister on stage is you got to believe what you're with this, what you're doing. Like this song has to be about you. Yeah, and if you're again, if you're just going down the top ten CCLI songs, you're going, well, the people, everybody knows these, and right. these are the ones we have to sing because they're familiar with. There are a lot of songs. I go to churches, and you know, they'll say, I go to churches all over the country, and then they'll help. They'll want to know, okay, what songs do you want to do? And I'm like, well, what songs are good for you right now? I want to, you know, I want to, I want to come in and do what you, right. you know, I don't want to throw a, a curveball. Right. To where your church is, I wanted to be comfortable, and I wanted to sing songs they love. But they'll they'll pitch me songs. And I go, no, I'm not doing that one. Yeah, why? Because it's not my testimony, yeah. or it's because it's not a connection to me. When I get up on stage and sing those three or four songs on a, in a worship service, 
I want the Spirit of God to be pouring out of me. I want a longing. Yep. I want you to feel that longing in my my voice, in my posture, and in every word that comes out that I believe this with all my heart. And again, I think that's, you said it, it's becoming a little bit of a cookie cutter mentality with churches. Let's just get across the finish line with these songs that everybody knows. It's what happened to hymns. It's kind of why hymns kind of yeah. went to the, went, you know, were, were, were tossed aside for so long because the next couple of generations didn't understand them. It didn't mean anything to them, where it meant something to our grandparents and great-grandparents. Yeah. It was their story, but it wasn't our story. And what's so funny is, I always love that that you hear older people. Um, I was speaking at a seminary, uh, a very large seminary, at a worship event they were hosting, and I was a teacher, and why they, it was very stoic. <laughs> Very stodgy, can I say? And one of the guests was uh, Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. Yeah. And he and his family are dear friends of ours. We sung for them many times. So when I walked in, he he was there, and he made a beeline for me. He said, I told my wife, Jaron's going to be there. I know we'll have a good time. He said, I don't know <laughs> some of these other people, but I know if he's there, we'll have fun. So let me say, that's incredible. Because to me, when when talk about Dr. Jeremiah, that is about as conservative Mm-hmm. And right down the and last generation, yeah, yes. I mean, at his age, yeah, he is he is from a different era, uh-huh. and but he but to is, have the respect and love for you and what you do on the charismatic side of things, yeah, I think is a real beautiful testimony. He's a, he he is a a seeker of knowledge. Yeah, he is always thirsting, and you know, yeah. as you well know, the more you learn, the more you want to learn, right? And um, and so I, you know, I was teaching at this conference and we were talking about the hymn you know one one lady said um i said you know music is music and it doesn't matter what style you like and she interrupted me and goes um well you know some music is the devil's music and a certain beat is the devil <laughs> we, we i've had this conversation another podcast and I, and i said i yeah. said uh well no the devil's not creative Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Anything the devil does, he stole. When he left heaven, he stole it. And so we need to take back what is <laughs> what is rightfully ours, uh, whether it's my personal favorite or not. If somebody says, I want to lift up Jesus with this, you know, there are things in other countries that we wouldn't even get, but it speaks to their people. So whatever way you got, you know, speak to Jesus. So it's funny how everybody wants their style, their style, is God's favorite, you know, meaning yeah. my, my, my style is favorite, but you just can't, um, you can't put God in that kind of box. Mm. And I, but I love the fact that m- don't you feel like more churches are because more information is available. Yeah. Uh, pastors, worship pastors, we got more songwriters in local mm-hmm. churches than we've ever had. Yeah. We've got more great musicians and great singers in churches than we've ever had. That's I mean, right. there's a quest for knowledge again and to use it for God's glory. And I just love that. I think it's we're probably on the edge of, of course, the, the Bible says that in the last days, God's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh and it's going to go spread all over the world. And I think we're seeing God draw people to churches and God pe- draw people to him in a way like never before. And we're going to need an army 
of people who are gifted that have the cause of Christ at the forefront of their mind yeah. and say, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to sing for Jesus, I'm going to preach for Jesus or speak or teach or whatever you want to do for Jesus because, and I think there are three eyes. You were talking a while ago about um, wanting to feel a song and not doing a certain song because it didn't mm-hmm. connect. I think there are three eyes um, that have to be, whether you're a singer, a musician, a speaker, a writer, uh, you need to try to accomplish three eyes. And those are information, inspiration. Now, information is making sure your grammar's right. All right. <laughs> making yeah. sure theologically yeah. you're, you're accurate. Uh-huh. Inspiration is making sure the melody has touches your heart and making sure that the arrangement, you know, you go up at the right and you, you know, I get inspired when I hear patriotic songs, especially when they go on that last ending and the bombs go off and they're hitting the big bass drum and <laughs> yeah. Sandy Patty's hitting her eye. Now, you know, that's inspiring, but it's not anointing. Some people mistake inspiration for the anointing. Yeah. So you got to have inf- good information inspiration, but a lot of times they don't get to the third eye, and that's impartation. And sadly, most churches do two of the three. A lot of churches have great information and great inspiration, Mm -hmm. but they never get to impartation. Some churches have inspiration and impartation, but their information is a little (laughs) shallow. But when you get all three together— The it's limitless, and the Bible says a three ply cord is not easily broken. Wow, that's good. When you incorporate all of that into what you're doing, whether it's as a musician, or as a songwriter, or as a singer, or a speaker, whatever, when you make sure that not only do you get good information and good inspiration, learn your music, practice your music, know it well, but then get to the point to where you get down by yourself and spend some time with the Lord and say, "This gift I've." tried to help create to the best of my ability, yeah. I now put it in your hands. And I don't want it to go from my mouth to their ears, but I want it to go from my heart to their heart. So that's, you know, again, I think that's a missing step for where music, especially worship, has gone over the past mm-hmm. 10 years or so, maybe mm-hmm. 20 years, is that um, uh, so much of what people who want to be involved in worship, it's about making their name great. It's about... And again, I don't want to judge people. Every everybody's got to go on their own journey to figure this out on their own. But you know it, and I see church bands and church worship leaders that they're they're just killing themselves to get known, mm-hmm. get their song out there, to get it recorded, to the get on Spotify, to, an end. to get it on radio. That's yeah. right. To get my career going, even if they don't think that's what they're doing, it's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Not content to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna get before God. God might give me a song, and I'm going to sing it for him. And maybe nobody else hears it. Is that enough? Is that okay? And Don't you think Mark Hall and the guys with Casting Crowns are a great example? They embody of, that really well. They have worked for that church yeah. through their whole career, and their career's gone crazy, but they always make sure i got to be back on Sunday because we've got our church. You know, that's uh, the Happy Goodman family back in the day in their biggest years pastored a church in uh, Kentucky, Madisonville, Kentucky. Yeah. And they would sometimes drive all night on Saturday night and pull up into the church parking lot on Sunday morning and get out and go mm-hmm. in and sing and, and preach to their people. I think, I think that is a noble calling to put God's people first. But I think if you put that first, 
he'll, you know, seek first the kingdom of that's God. Right. All, All these, these things will things. be added. That's right. And so, you know, I think that I think that's uh, really, really an interesting thing. And it seems to be this is just an opinion. This is, you know, my dad used to say this, and this is funny. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. My dad used to say opinions are like rear ends. Everybody's got one. They're all different, and most of them stink. But, but um, this is just my opinion. But I wonder sometimes if the fall and the disintegration of the Christian music industry at some point wasn't a way for God to start pulling pieces out and letting it crash because so many guys I knew that worked for the industry Mm -hmm. went to become worship pastors or went to be an executive pastor at a church. I think it was a call. I think there was a call out there. I heard it. Yeah. And I wasn't the only one because, you know, back in my day of truth and early days of for him, there was a, there was an, an idea that if you couldn't make it in Christian music, the consolation prize was go be a worship pastor at a church. So if you couldn't make yeah. it as an artist, then fall back on being a worship pastor. And I just feel like in the late 90s that that I heard that call loud and clear from God, woke me up in the middle of the night yeah. and, and really spoke to my heart that your first calling is to lead my people in worship, yeah, not to go make your career singing about me. I love that. Not that I was doing anything wrong, yeah, but God was just like, it's a subtle shift, but it's going to take a lot of work on What's your end. What's funny is Bill and Gloria Gaither... In the biggest heyday of their career, which was big, they were selling 10,000 tickets a night. Yeah. They would go home and teach Sunday school at their church. Mm. They would donate a portion of their income to Anderson University and build a music building. They put the work of God first. And what all happened with their career was a means to an end for them to touch people. Integrity Music was born out of a Gaither concert. Mm. The guys who went and saw Bill in Fort Worth, Texas. I was probably at that concert, say, Becky and I were newly married uh, then and working at Dan Dean's father-in-law's church, where Dan is on staff now. And and I, Bill, his son, Devin. His yeah. son, Devin, is the worship pastor now. He's a... Yeah, he yeah, is. I, 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 I mentor him. And Dusty yeah. is, uh, and Dusty, is yeah. the pastor mm-hmm. now. Yep. Uh, so, so, you know, and I've watched those boys grow up, so it's, it's so funny. Um, seeing the next generation take over, it's beautiful. Yeah. But uh, they they uh, heard Bill Gaither say in that concert in the Tarrant County Convention Center, let's sing together. Something beautiful. And all the audience started singing. And on the drive back to Mobile, they said, is it possible? Because at this point in time, the church was singing out of the hymn book. Right. And they said, is it possible for us to get the church to sing stuff that's not in the hymn book? And integrity music was born, mm. and you know, putting changed the landscape. In, it changed yeah. the landscape of mm-hmm. everything. What I didn't know was, I was sitting in the audience at that thing, watching the Gaithers, never imagining I'd be friends with them one day. Seeing Sandy Patty step out as from the backup singer point, and they had this young artist that nobody knew about that came out and sang a song called "Some of Dat." His name was Carmen. Carmen, yeah. And a young <laughs> girl came out and sat on a stool and sang. Like his father's eyes, my father's eyes, Amy, Amy Grant. Grant. And so Bill and Gloria had a way of building the church, even while their songs were going. They were reaching out to people and helping take it to a, a different place. So I think, I think um, you know, when you see people who do that, who uh, take their music and the gift 
God's given them, and they go out and try to touch the world, but they stay anchored to and connected to a local family of faith so that they are. I called a pastor. Um, we were on when we were living in Nashville and staying very, very busy. Um, and I called one of the pastors on staff at our church, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know we're going to be in so-and-so Thursday and Friday we go here and so that and we'll be home on Monday. I, I just wanted you to know we're not laying out mm-hmm. <laughs> on church. Yeah. Uh, and here's where we're going to be. And he said, uh, oh, Jaron, when we don't see you, we know you're off touching people. Don't worry about that. I go, I'm not telling you for you. I'm telling you for me. I'm being accountable to you. I want you to pray for me, and I want my my heart and mind to be tied to a family of faith and a spiritual leader. And he said, you know what? I shouldn't have said it like I said it. You're right, and we will be praying for you. And we actually started a fellowship of artists in our in our congregation at the time. So I think I think the making the body of Christ important um, in your personal life is as important as making the body of Christ important in your professional life. Yeah. So that's I agree. I agree. You, my, you uh, well, I mean, if you want, if you want to be able to, I feel like if you finish your career, or you want to lay down, you know, even lay your head down at night in peace. You got to know that you're, you're serving Christ first and not yep. yourself. And I think God is so gracious to let you go for a while and, and, and build your, Build your career, build your business, build whatever you need to build. But at some point, you got to turn back and go, "My, this is my first Absolutely. love. This is the reason I have a gift in the first in the first yeah. place yeah. is to worship Him and sing songs about Him. It's our first calling, and I just my prayer is that artists everywhere will figure that out at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah, before they get before they get just wadded up and thrown away, or they just feel like I don't even want this gift anymore because it's not. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I, yeah, that, that's that's you have to you have to make God a major part of your daily life. Yeah, not not when you're on stage. And I, I've heard artists say before, you know, we've we've uh, we've been in church three days this week, meaning they performed. Yeah, well, that's not church. That's where you give. Yeah, you need to be in church where you get. Mm. You need to go sit under somebody. You need to hear somebody sing to you. You need to hear somebody preach the word or teach the word at where you're taking in. Because yeah, because we're always giving, give giving, so giving. Much. Yeah, you run out. Mm-hmm. You get That's depleted. Right. So. That's right. Hey, I want to talk about this before we're done. I, okay. I want to talk about your catalog because, I mean, your, your name is going to live well beyond your time on this earth, just wow. because of the songs you're leaving behind, the people that you've influenced, the people you've raised up. Uh, but I just want to talk about the songs in your catalog. We've mentioned Gentle Hands and Holy Ground and Holy of Holies. Um, you're, they could put a songbook together <laughs> of what you have provided the church. And and it's gone from, you talked about being in Alexandria, Louisiana. And mm-hmm. if anybody knows that area, it's a hotbed for uh, the, you know, the Church of God. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's, 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 you know, kind of a birthplace for so much of, the, you know, the music that you created and came out of there. Right. And uh, let's just talk about some of the songs, maybe that are your favorites that, you know, or maybe some songs that surprised you that were cut by other artists. And, um, you know, you mentioned Streisand cutting Holy Ground and 
Is that not nuts? I can't. It still just blows my mind. It's just nuts. We we um we were singing at a at a a church event outside Little Rock years ago. There were a couple of thousand people there, and we had a group called Davis Pedigo, mm-hmm. and it was me and my wife and our friend Tim Pedigo. Yeah, I remember Tim. We all met in college, and um and we were singing in um I think it was called Red Dirt. <laughs> Arkansas or something. I mean, it was way out in the woods. All these people came to this campground, you know, and we're singing. And all of a sudden, we're singing Holy Ground. We just recorded it. Uh, I mean, we had it on our album. It had been out a little while. But it wasn't the song it is, you know, that it became. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turn around, and it's then-Governor Bill Clinton who has a mic in his hand and tears running down his face, and he's singing with us. Wow. You're standing on holy ground. So he tells me after church, that's my favorite song. He was in the choir at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock. No way. Yeah. And when he was governor of Arkansas. So that was his home church, Emmanuel Baptist, and he was in the choir. And I think his choir robe number was like 21 or 14. (laughs) I don't remember. But. Uh, that was his favorite song. And somebody told me later, said, you know, you might have just sung with a future president. I go, we're not going to have a Southern president anymore. <laughs> they did Jimmy Carter. Jimmy we won't Carter have another one. That, that, yeah, that really. no. but, but sure enough, he became president. And he invited us. He had two favorite songs. One was In the Presence of Jehovah and one was Holy Oh, Grand. wow. And um, we got invited to sing at his inauguration. Mm. And we did Holy Ground and In the Presence of Jehovah. So when his mother died several years later, and when he was president, uh, Barbara Streisand was at the funeral. And um, so I found this out later. A few years ago, he came to town. Jerrica, my daughter, who is 34 now, <laughs> was like three. And we have pictures of me in the rehearsal at the getting ready for the inauguration in D.C. with her standing beside me. Becky was pregnant with Neiman, our son. Um, and so Bill Clinton came to Tent Nashville a few years back, and I went to lunch with him, and I took Jerrica with me. Oh, wow. And they had paper, butcher block paper around the windows and no, no press or, mm-hmm. or anything. And he told my daughter story after story about our songs and how much they meant. And, but he told her, said I, he was sitting in his mother's funeral, and he had requested that they do Holy Ground at her funeral because it was one of her favorite songs and his favorite song. Yeah. And he said, in the middle of that song, he said, people are worshiping and praising the Lord. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt a hand grip my shoulder. And I turned around, and it was Streisand. And she said, where did this song come from? And he said, a friend of mine wrote it. I'll tell you later. And I got a call from the White House later that night that said the president wanted you to know how much that song meant to him and to his mother. And by the way, Barbara Streisand said it was one of the most powerful things she had ever heard. Incredible. So I'm thinking, okay, the president of the United States asked you at his mother's funeral what you thought about his and the dead lady's favorite song. You know, what's the appropriate response? Powerful, pat you on the shoulder, powerful. You know, so I told my family, I never once told it in concert on stage. And a year later, we're in Brooklyn Tabernacle singing, in Brooklyn, New York, singing at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And in between service, 
Pastor Simmel says, brother, you're never going to believe in that Brooklyn yeah. way of speaking he's yeah. got. You're never going to believe who came to church a couple of weeks ago. I go, who's that? Barbara Streisand. I said, seriously? He said, yeah. So she sat in the balcony, had a scarf on, glasses, dark glasses. One of the ushers recognized her, asked if she wanted to go down to a better seat. Mm-hmm. She said, no, she wanted to stay there. What brought you to Brooklyn Tabernacle? I'm doing research for a project I'm working on. So I thought maybe a movie or a, I didn't know what. Yeah. I go, wow. Well, one thing's for sure. She felt the presence of God and she heard the word of God. So I never, never connected the dots because it had been a year. Three years after the funeral, we get a call from Dan King at ASCAP and the press release for her album came out. And she said, I was sitting in uh, Virginia Kelly's funeral, uh, the mom to Bill Clinton, and the singer started singing on holy ground. It's hard to describe the feeling in the room. The music mm-hmm. elevated us, taking us all to a different place. I knew then I had to sing that song. The idea for this album was born in that moment. Now, when Streisand starts to do a record, writers and publishers, it's a feeding frenzy to yeah. try to get some. Yeah. We never even knew. We'd have probably screwed it up if we had known. <laughs> and and God just wow. made a way for that song to come out. They played a mm. clip, a chorus of it on abc's 2020 with barbara walters and i'm thinking i sat there watching that chorus and they were showing footage of streisand walking into the funeral with the president and all that and i'm thinking okay two women of jewish faith talking before an entire nation and world about a song written by a 19 year old pastor's kid in a one-horse town in west tennessee that says let us praise jesus now we're standing on holy ground Mm. little as much when god is in it and so um, that that is one of the neatest stories to me about how God can do um, great things with uh, He can do extraordinary things with ordinary people. So that's that's one of my favorite stories about. I know we're not talking about Holy Ground. You want to talk yeah. about other songs too? No, but no, that's when okay. you mentioned Holy Ground, yeah, I, I love telling that story because a lot of a lot of people don't know it. One of my songs that has done really well in the church is a song called Evermore. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that's a worship chorus that a lot of churches sing. Uh, a song called Send It On Down. Yeah. We sing that in a ton of churches. Yeah. And, um, you know, for a long time I thought, well, you know, well, you know, churches that aren't Pentecostal may not want to sing that song. Every Baptist church that has us in go, let's open, send it on down. <laughs> so, so um, uh, the Baptists want to be, let's, let's just be honest, the Baptists want to be Pentecostal. Yeah. They just can't wrap their heads around it. And, you know what? And the, the, and the Baptist, Pentecostals also like think. Look at the Baptists, you know, with their nose down at them. Just the way, I think Baptist Pentecostals look their nose down at each other. You know what? I think but that's changing. It is. It's starting. the 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 gap has closed quite a bit over a the last decade. A lot of decade. Pentecostals are going to Baptist churches yeah. now because they like the solid teaching uh-huh. and what have you. A lot of. Uh, Baptists are going to Pentecostal churches now because they've got not as wild, and you know most of them don't handle snakes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know jump pews and knock yeah. people in the head, and you know so it's it's really it's really becoming more of a church instead of a denomination. And that, in fact, I, I have told some friends of mine recently. I think the Baptist church, in many ways, depending on the church. But a lot of Baptist churches are actually more open with their worship than some Pentecostal churches. Because yeah. some some Pentecostal churches, 
the next generation or the third generation has almost gotten to where we're not going to do that. We're not going to do this. And in an attempt to not be their predecessors, they've almost shut things too down. Because what a lot of people loved was the exuberance and the fire. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and so I think a lot of Baptist churches, I, we go in and we see the young people all come to the front at the beginning of service and their hands are raised and they're jumping around. It yeah. looks like a mosh pit at the <laughs> altar area of, you know, First Baptist. Yeah. But, but I think it's awesome that Every church we go to almost, we go, well, I was raised Baptist, but I started coming to this church, or I yeah. used to be Assembly of God, but I, you know, I've been going to this church five years mm-hmm. now. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, God. That's why most churches are losing their labels now. Yeah. They don't, they're losing the Baptist yeah. label. Even if they're, they're, they're in the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah. they're not putting Baptist and yeah. Assembly. Redemption yeah. Center or yeah. New Life. Know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You it. wouldn't know unless you probably read their documents that this is, you know, kind of the the theology and yeah. or you know what 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 section they're part yeah, of. I love that. Uh, but Mark Lowry did a song called "Isn't It Amazing," that is one of my favorite songs I've ever written, and most people probably wouldn't know it as far as the general marketplace. But it's literally one of my favorite. I cry every time I sing mm. it. "Mercy Saw Me" is a song that. Has done really, really well in a, a lot of different places. Uh, T.D. Jakes did it on a, an album, so in different circles, mm. it's it's uh, done well. How, how many songs do you think you've written in your career? I don't know, probably a couple hundred. Yeah, uh, maybe more. I don't know. I would think it'd be more than that. It right? probably is. Yeah. That's probably how many are published. I'm about to say there. that's how many copyrights you probably have. Yeah, but. they. I, I I I was really excited last year. Bradley Knight, a, a kid mm-hmm. I met when he was 12, and just mentored him and his little brother and took him to a recording at Riverside Baptist in Denver, Colorado with us for a project we were doing. And my friend Joel Allen, who was the worship pastor, had an 18-year-old daughter named Holly that caught his eye. And today they have five kids later. Wow. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, so, but Bradley, uh, I've known him and his family for you know since he was a kid. But he, unbeknownst to me, got a bunch of my friends together and several of the people who grew up on my music, which the older I get, that list is growing. <laughs> you know, one of the joys of getting old picked the top 10 songs they thought should be on this new project called tribute. And he got friends like Taranda green, Jody McBrayer, charity Gale, the Collingsworths voices of Lee, Joseph Habedank, Angie Prim, Mickey Mangan, who was my pastor's wife in Alexandria. That was such a great singer. Tim Pettigo, my little sister, Allison and Shelton, who sing with Becky and I, and Wesley Pritchard, a great singer on the Gaither videos that is a pastor in North Carolina. All these people came together and did this project of all these songs that I've written through the years and recorded it. So, you know, a lot of those um, in the present, Nicole Binion did in mm-hmm. the presence of Jehovah. So a bunch of those songs, Send It On Down, Holy of Holies, uh, You'll Still Be Lord of All, That Truth. Did. Oh, yeah. I forgot you wrote that. Yeah. That was another big song that I was a part of in Truth. Yeah. Me and yeah. Becky and Tim wrote that. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's just been... I forget the songs I've written. Uh, we've been sitting in churches, and they'll sing a song before we go up to sing, and I'll go, I know this song. <laughs> Who recorded this song? Becky will say, you wrote it. <laughs> so, 
you know, it's and and one of the fun things is the broad impact that God has allowed, you know, because of integrity and the different publishing companies, a kid from a little one horse town with no connections to the music industry. When we went to Japan for the first time and we sang Holy Ground and there were we learned the chorus in Japanese. Wow. Now, I'm not sure what they thought four people with southern accents were actually <laughs> like saying. That. I would like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, we just learned it phonetically. Can you do it? You know? No. <laughs> I learned it for that trip and promptly uh, forgot it. I do have the words in my phone, though. Uh, but um, 5,000 people stood and started singing it in English. Wow. And I don't know if they were telling us to stop the Japanese, just stop, <laughs> or... But it showed me the impact of the song around the world. People I'd never met in another country and culture were singing songs that God had let me write. And so that is probably the most humbling uh, thing that makes me grateful is that God has allowed me to touch people that I would never get to meet. Um, so many people um, have come up and told me, you know, when my mom passed away, I was you know, we were standing around the bed holding holding hands, singing, you know, we're standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around, and she took her last breath. Mm. Those kinds of stories, when you realize it's not a song people heard, it became a part of the fabric of their life. Yeah. That is the most grateful thing when you've done something that changes someone's life. Um, that makes me glad I said yes, even though I had no reason to say yes, and God had no reason to pick me. I'm I'm glad I did because can I tell you one last uh, funny story yes, about please. you? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> we as long doing, as it's about me, go for it. We were, of course, <laughs> we were we were doing um, a new project that we had recorded Holy of Holies on, mm -hmm. and um, we were at the Con Center at Lee University, and Bradley Knight was there, and <clears throat> Shelton was having trouble with his voice, and. Um, and he said, I can't, I can't hit those notes. And I said, well, the choir knows this. We got, had a big audience and choir. And I, I said, Bradley, can you sing Holy of Holies? Yeah, because Bradley's got a very high voice. Yeah. So, yeah. so he, he got it. Travis Cottrell was there that night. Oh, I love Travis. And he said, uh, and so we, Bradley sang it, hit the high notes, nailed it. We go back to the green room, and Travis walks in and said, Andy Chrisman called. He wants his song back. <laughs> That was that was a funny moment because everybody thinks of you when they think of that song, yeah. and so it was kind of a kind of a cool moment that. Uh, and Bradley started laughing. It was a it was a good moment. But you will forever be the holy of holies guy, and you did it so well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sincerely, thank you for being such a important part of my life, well, and for being a friend. I'm glad we're friends, and I'm glad we got to see each other this week. Thank you for having me on here, and. I hope something I said made sense. <laughs> Don't want to embarrass my wife and kids, you know. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. And if you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Chrisman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net. 
for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.